In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Welcome back for another Retirement Pathfinder podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Barbara Lane, Retirement Income Planning Specialist at Pathfinder Wealth Management, serving you in the Rockford area. Barbara is the co-author of two different books, Roadmap for a Stress-Free Retirement and Remarkable Retirement. You can find us online by going to pathfinderwealth.com. That's also the place to go if you'd like to submit a question to be featured on a future show. And we are going to open up the mailbag today, Barbara, to take some listener questions. I just love this type of podcast when we're actually getting to kind of get into the nitty and gritty of somebody's situation and help them with maybe a piece of the financial struggle that they're maybe going through or something that's on their mind. So, And we've got a nice smattering of questions for you today as well. All set to help some folks out? I am, sure. Let's do it. First one comes to us from Charlie. Charlie says, I'm told that I might still be able to get some kind of benefit from my ex-husband's Social Security, even though we've been divorced for almost 10 years. Is this true? Well, there is a lot to Social Security. I'll say that when I started researching this about five years ago, we've been able to help our clients maximizing benefits and doing a number of things in that area. So the long and short of it is this. There are there are some rules. So potentially, Charlie could receive a 50% benefit of your ex's full retirement benefit. So here's what to look at is you have to at least been married for at least 10 years. You have to currently be unmarried and at least age 62 or older. And this is what's most important is if the ex-spouse is entitled to a social security or a disability benefit to begin with, then you're entitled to half of that ex-spouse's benefit if you collect at age 66. Now, if you collect early, let's say at age 62, well, then you're subject to an earnings limit, which this year is about $17,000 a year. But there is no double dipping. So it's not like you can collect an ex-spouse's benefit and your own retirement benefit. The way Social Security looks at it is you're going to receive one benefit only, but it's going to be the higher benefit. So if your benefit is higher, you're going to get your benefit, not your ex-spouse's. So the important thing here is not the length of time you've been divorced. That's pretty much irrelevant to the conversation. It's it's how long you were married. It's how long you were married. And I do believe that it's at least two years to be divorced. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So it does matter a little bit, but not so much yeah. on the that 10-year limit that maybe Charlie was at, that once you get beyond that, it's the, the, the amount of time you've been divorced doesn't necessarily change the amount of the benefit, if that makes sense. Nope, no, no, not at all. And it doesn't change the ex-spouse's benefit either. And sometimes people get that impression, even on collecting a spouse's benefit. You're not, you're not stealing it from them, spouses. right? <laughs> what is that? You're not stealing it from what they're taking home. It's you're, you're, exactly. You're not. So if you're if you're going into it with a revenge mindset, it's not going to work, unfortunately. That's for right. You. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, great question, Charlie. To me, Barbara, this really just underscores how complex. Social Security can get when you start getting into some of these nuances. It's It really isn't just a, okay, I'm 62 and I'm going to flip on the switch and now I'm getting Social Security. A lot more thought needs to go into it than that. Oh, by all means. You know, we were asked the question all the time, when should I take Social Security? But there are so many questions to ask beyond that. You know, what are your current resources for retirement? What do your expenses look like? And your health. 
So if you're not real healthy today and you're just retiring, then it wouldn't make sense for you to wait till age 70 to collect that maximum benefit. Spouses, you certainly, if the husband is a higher income earner, you always want to give consideration to delaying it, even if it's beyond Social Security age of by one or two years, because women typically live longer. And so you don't want to cut off that benefit for her when she may need it the most. But yeah. all of those are considerations for when you should take Social Security. Yeah, you never know when half of the ex-spouses might be more than yours personally, and that's when that option is good to take. Great question yeah. once again. Thank you, Charlie. All right, we've got one here from Richard. Richard says, will the recent tax changes have a big impact on my retirement funds in a couple of years? Is there anything I need to address now on that issue? Sure. One of the things I would say is if you're contributing to a retirement fund at work, let's say a 401k or a 403b, then I would consider contributing to the 401k Roth if that's an option in your plan. And for most plans anymore, it is. And uh, of course, that's also if you don't need the tax deduction, but then tax deduction anymore with uh, President Trump's new plan could just be a moot point. But if your income is within the limits, another thing you could consider is contributing to a Roth IRA outside of your plan. And that's another good option. So the question really is how close to retirement are we talking? Because there's also options to move some of that money or most of that money from a qualified plan to an individual retirement account, to an IRA account before you officially retire. And then we look at things like filling up lower tax brackets with some of that IRA money. And of course, you're going to pay taxes now, but you're paying taxes at a reduced rate. And then you're also uh, reducing the value before you have to take money from your retirement accounts at the age of 70 and a half. So tax planning is very important post-retirement, pre-retirement, but we have to be flexible because laws are going to change. And uh, a good example of that is President Trump's new plan because it's set to expire in 2025. And that's if he's still in office. So it can always change. Interestingly enough, there was a well-known politician that stated, we don't have a deficit problem. We only have about $19 trillion in debt, she says, because the other $25 trillion, which is unfunded Social Security and Medicare, is going to be coming from qualified accounts that have yet to be taxed, if that gives you any idea of where taxes will be headed in this country. Yeah, it's uh, the tax situation, I think, it's just going to be continually evolving over the many years. And I know a lot of people do have concerns about how that's going to impact their retirement funds. Richard, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Uh, ultimately, though, there's going to be a deeper conversation that needs to be had in the office to probably get a full picture of, you know, what kind of risks you might be exposed to on that front. And uh, so it's worth coming in, having that conversation about your plan. We'll tell you at the end of the podcast, an easy way to get in touch with Barbara and the team at Pathfinder Wealth Management. Uh, another great question here comes to us from Joy, Barbara. Joy says, a friend told me she's not paying for long-term care insurance but that she'll still be covered if that situation ever arises. She didn't seem to know much else about how it works. Is she confusing things, or is there a way I could get something similar in place? Well, if she's not paying for long-term care insurance, then she doesn't have it. <laughs> I, I know I'm guilty of <laughs> I know I'm guilty. That's a pretty simple that way is, to put it, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm guilty of this, and that is that I take a statement out of context, and then I can make a lot of assumptions from it. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do this, I think, in everyday conversation. But maybe she either thinks that Medicare will pay for it or Medicaid will pay for it. But uh, the way it works with Medicare is Medicare pays for up to 100 days and no more. So zero through 20 days, Medicare pays for. 
21 through 100 days, well, then they, you have to satisfy benefit periods. And benefit periods are determined by the amount of time that you're in the nursing home, and then you're released and you go back. But nonetheless, there's no more than 100 days that Medicare pays for. And then there's a joint run program that's called Medicaid, and that's uh, run by federal and state. And then the states have the ability to enact their own set of rules. But you have to be destitute to have them pay for your care. So there's there's an asset test and there's an income test. And uh, in Illinois, there's a community spouse income and asset test. But the the institutionalized spouse is only allowed about $30 in income and $2,000 in assets. And the rest has to be spent down. But if she's not paying for long-term care, then maybe she's misguided by thinking Medicare, which often people do, that Medicare is going to pay for her care. And it's just not. Yeah. A lot of people think, I think Medicare or Medicaid is going to be this magic bullet that solves every problem, but unfortunately it's not. There are, and, and, and maybe you alluded to this a little bit, there are ways that you can get long-term care kind of coverage through different financial products. It doesn't have to be necessarily relying on Medicare or Medicaid, right? I mean, isn't that something that, um, you know, certain products that try to fill that need, but it's not exactly like the initial coverage. Maybe that's where some of the confusion is. Well, there's there's combination policies out there too. So, you know, you can have an annuity slash long-term care policy, and there's also a life insurance slash long-term care. And so, yeah, that could very well be part of it too. But those are what I call lump sum deposits. So you deposit once and you're done. And they're actually pretty good plans because uh, something will always go back to the estate. But maybe she has a plan like that. But I would think those still are set up basically for long-term care. And um, so, like I said, sometimes things can be taken out of context. It's really hard to say, but uh, nothing's free out there. So if you end up having Medicaid pay for your expenses and you're going to have to spend everything down anyway. Yeah, I think the other thing is to here, maybe a takeaway from this question would be careful what financial advice you're getting from, you know, on a casual basis like that from your friends, not just on the long term care issue, but, um, you know, things aren't always as they seem in perfect illustration, not paying for long term care insurance, but says that, hey, I'm, but I still have it anyway. And obviously that doesn't jive. Or maybe she has a large estate. I mean, you know, sound like you said she was covered, but. That, I guess People that could mean many different things, right? I'm, I'm covered. could mean a lot of different things. Well, it's kind of funny. This is interesting that people with large estates, I'm finding, are buying long-term care insurance. Because uh, I have another financial advisor sharing a story with me, and he had a client that's worth $30 million. And so she wants to come in, and she talks with him, and she wants to buy long-term care insurance. So the advisor's first question is, what do you need long-term care insurance for? You have plenty of assets. And she says, because when I get old and I can't make decisions for myself, then my heirs are going to take over and all they want is the money. And I want to oh. make sure that I'm taken care of in a nice place. So it's kind of funny. We always have to ask that long-term care question and just don't assume because people have large estates that they're not interested in paying for long-term care, especially when you consider the statistics of some time in a nursing home that we're going to spend once we reach the age of 65 is pretty high, like 70%. That is a fantastic example of how sometimes these questions aren't just about the dollars, but about some of the other factors, some of the other auxiliary items we've got to be thinking about. Great story. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that with us, Barbara. One more question to cover here on the mailbag before we wrap up the podcast for this week. It comes to us from Carrie. Carrie says, my husband and I met with a financial advisor, and he said he wouldn't work with us unless we committed 
to live on a budget. It's just something we're not interested in doing after being fine with how we have controlled our expenses for the past 35 years of marriage. Do all advisors have rules and limitations like this? <laughs> well, I think, I think to begin with, it's important to set guidelines and awareness. I actually like to call it a spending plan rather than a budget. That doesn't it just sound a little bit more palatable? A little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. None of none of it's fun it, stuff, but it's palatable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, call it what you will, but we like to call them spending plans because the term budget does sound rather restrictive. Call now, it, call it the I fun created, money plan, Barbara. The fun money plan. Fun money plan. Yeah, you're in retirement, <laughs> so it should be fun, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I create a retirement income plan, it's based on X number of expenses. So you have your expenses and you subtract your guaranteed sources of income, like your pension and your social security. And then you have a shortfall. And if that shortfall is three to 4% of your retirement account, your 401k or your 403b, well, then your plan could potentially last you until age 95. But it's based on those assumptions of that withdrawal rate, including inflation and risk and return and taxes. But I will say this, that in retirement, you can't make up for overspending years and you can't make up for mistakes because you have no more earned income. So if you spend outside of those guidelines, then your money may not last. And I'll tell you this, that I don't like to police my clients' accounts because I learned a lesson when you ask too many questions, they actually get mad because they'll say, this is their money. So what I do with my clients is when I meet with them at review time, then I just go over the numbers and they can see the overall success of their plan. They can plainly see if this is going to work or not, if they continue to take additional withdrawals beyond their plan, because that's the problem. You set up a plan, but if clients want to take additional withdrawals, they want to go on vacations with the kids and pay for that and you know, grandkids education and all sorts of things like this, well, then the plan just may not work. So you have to have some kind of a budget when you retire. So whether you want to call it a budget or a spending plan, you have to stick to that unless you're going to work, plan on working part-time in retirement. I suppose how that budget or spending plan, as you like to call it, looks is something that maybe is open for interpretation. Maybe this advisor was really pushing Carrie to document every single receipt that they bring in and that kind of thing, and maybe they're just not interested in doing that. But sometimes do you set looser parameters for certain people? Like, all right, well, you don't want to get down to the dollar of what you're spending, so let's add in a whole bunch of buffer in each of these categories to make sure that you're okay. Or am I off base? I'm making assumptions here. That's true. You want to add in vacations because certainly people work all – all their years, and they're not taking the vacations that they would like to, you know, allow for some of the things that you like to do, you know, your hobbies, you know, things, uh, if you are going to take trips and see your grandkids, you have to allow for all of that. And, you know, have ample room for that. But of course, certainly in the early stages of your retirement plan, you should see a considerable amount of growth in your plan to stay ahead of inflation to give you what you need for withdrawals to allow for you to pay taxes. So yeah, there's some room there. So it sounds like Barbara, there's this happy, there's probably this happy medium, this compromise or this, uh, you know, balance that we can strike here between, you know, not ever wanting to live on a budget, but also wanting to make sure we're keeping track of spending appropriately. We shouldn't underscore the fact that that financial advisor's mission is probably a good one. To it should be a great mission to confidently identify what you're spending in your retirement years and those years leading up to that. What are the true consequences if we don't investigate those things and then it turns out we were way off base from what we thought might have been the case? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because we like to see our clients successful. I mean, certainly that's that's why we set up plans with our clients. But I had kind of a sad story about a client we uh, set up a plan for and it was perfectly uh, fine for her in retirement to receive monthly withdrawals and for her to get through her retirement years. But she was also very generous. So what she ended up doing is withdrawing at one time $10,000 to give to someone in their church to buy a new home. And then she withdrew additional money for windows and for flooring in her condo and all these various withdrawals outside of her monthly plan. So when we looked at her plan at the end of the year, she'd taken about 12% of her entire account value. Well, that's about three times more than what we had allotted for. And the sad thing is, is she got spooked and she called regularly and kept inquiring about her account balance. And I think that she was calling, I would say every 10 days to two weeks. Well, consequently, she wanted to hang on so tightly to what she had left of her money that she decided to close her account out and she put it in the bank. Well, I would think that with the interest rates that banks are paying today, her account value has not grown today any more than when she put it in there two years ago. Mm. So I think what happens is people in retirement or even nearing retirement have a hard time putting that lump sum investment, that 401k into perspective of how that's actually supposed to last them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think that's a great point and a great story to end things on for the week. So just make sure that we're doing our due diligence when it comes to all these different financial matters, things like living on a budget. It doesn't have to be as scary or annoying as maybe it does sound to us, but we do need to realize the importance of an accurate example, an accurate description of what our spending looks like. Great questions about the tax changes today as well and long-term care coverage and Social Security. We covered it all on today's show, Barbara, and we appreciate your help. All right. It was was nice. It was nice to meet with you. Yep. Nice talking with you again this week as well. If you have any questions about your own financial plan or financial situation, I'll encourage you to reach out to Barbara Lane, Phil Gusky, and the great team at Pathfinder Wealth Management here in Rockford. You can get in touch with them by calling 815-399-9806. That's 815-399-9806. Or you can find us online at pathfinderwealth.com. That's pathfinderwealth.com. You can find other great resources on the site, get in touch with the team, and of course, listen to past podcasts on the site as well. That's pathfinderwealth.com or call 815-399-9806. For Barbara, I'm Walter, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on The Retirement Pathfinder. Have a great day. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.